Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you for that beautiful special music. That was very, very beautiful. Certainly it's great to be back together. Great to be back together today of all days to watch another person give their soul to Christ. We were able to do that in Myrtle Beach as well. When Becca did that, so in the last year we've had three of our three people from uh, Burlington uh, give their lives to Christ. We're very, we're very blessed and grateful. So how was your feast? <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. The as our brother Jan, if you know Jan, has been wont to say, he has an interesting and seemingly true perspective on how we view the feast in the days and weeks following. Typically, it is not uncommon for our our reactions to how is your feast to sort of go along the lines of the following. And I hadn't considered it, but when we were talking about it year after year, the last few years, he's I think he's nailed it. Immediately, it's the best feast ever. And a week or two later, it was it was really good. It was really, really good. Within a month, it was, it was a good feast. It was a good feast. A few months down the line, as he mentioned in his prayer, it's, it's a long winter. Uh, this year, it's a longer winter. It's the 13-month year this year. So uh, that's why we've got 180-odd days before Passover. And the feast is at the end of October next year. It was not bad. Feast feast wasn't bad. There were some problems. The facility was in was kind of in a little bit of shambles. And... and uh, it wasn't that. It was okay. It was. Yeah, we've had better. Hopefully it's better this year. It seems rather humorous to consider so soon after the feast, but it, kind of happened, it does happen that way. In the period leading up to the feast this year, we covered some ground regarding God's expectations for us during the festival season. You'll recall that we talked about God, how God invites us to separate ourselves to feast, for specific reasons. It helps to re-energize us. He allows us to, to feast spiritually. He allows us to feast physically. He allows us to do it separately, so we build the bonds of brotherhood, so he has an opportunity to teach. We went through scriptures that showed how he, he, has, he takes his people aside at times and teaches them specifically stuff that brethren need to hear, not, not uh, um, milk to try to, to invite people into Christ, but meat so that we're energized, so that we understand that we're, we're building stronger character to prepare us for another year of working the fields of harvest for him. We heard a message on the, the deeper meaning of atonement and how all that, all that the high priest did on behalf of Israel that day so that their sins could be covered again for another year and how this pictures the incredibly redemptive work of our Savior. And we're going to witness that today when someone... Sister Linda gives her life over to Christ. That the entire festival season is a part of God's grand design to offer salvation to all of mankind and atonement to, to everyone, as we heard brought out in the sermonette by Pastor Adrian. That God expects us to feast spiritually and physically and to do so together. We covered this before the festival season and during the festival season. So how was your feast how did you feast? How was your keeping of the entire festival season? How valuable it was 
to you will depend on where we go from here. Over the course of the next six months, over the course of the next year, what goals you have set personally, spiritually, character building, habit changing, helping to build our community, helping to harvest the local fields, how our feast went will actually, doesn't really matter what we say now, it will depend on where we go from here, where we are in six months, where we are in 12 months. Today, what I'd like to do is put a wrap on the feast season this year by reviewing some biblical texts associated with time periods following the festivals. And we'll see that Christ has some very specific expectations of us coming out of a festival season. Before we do, let's go to Proverbs 29 and start in Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29, a very famous proverb. If you're reading from the King James, read verse 8, we'll read verse 18, where in the King James Version, you'll read, you'll, you'll see it read, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. This word perish is the Hebrew word para, P-A-R-A. It's, uh, in Strong's, it's 6544 in the Hebrew Concordance, and it means to loosen, to expose, to avenge, to bear, to make naked, to set at naught, to perish, and to uncover. The only time it's ever used in the King James Version as to perish is here in this version. The 16 times that is used, it means to uncover, to avenge, to avoid, to go back, to set at naught. Or to make naked. Interesting that it uses the word perish. Perish seems to perhaps have an end end point to where to what this means. But let's go to another version. Let's read if you have a New King James version or other versions similar. Most versions have changed the wording based on Strong's. And I'll read from my New King James where there's no revelation. The people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. It seems to be more correctly translated or understood better using the phrase cast off restraint. You'll find it in most versions, the ESV, uh, Young's literal translation. Most versions have, 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 through Strong's, have more properly translated it, cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, where there's no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint. We spent time for the last six weeks, covering the Holy Days, reviewing the Holy Days, celebrating the Holy Days, participating in the Holy Days, getting this vision of the kingdom of God and how our keeping them on an annual basis, and we do it every year, keeps us focused on following God so that we can be part of that kingdom. We do it every year so that we never lose focus, so that we are back next year, and it keeps us restrained within the boundaries of God's law. For us to be back and properly celebrating next year, we need to be continue to keep God's law. We need to continue to fulfill his expectations. We need to continue to be in Christ, to walk in Christ, to follow, to change our character, to, to do what he tells us to do. And in doing so, that provides a restraint, restraints 
that we can operate within, this, this freedom to operate within the boundaries of God's laws. Because we see here, according to this proverb, that when we have no vision, when we, we aren't focused on the kingdom of God, when it's not the place that we will make sure we get to, we aren't bound by restraints. If we don't have a place to go to, if there's not a reason to behave properly, to act properly, to get to this place, this vision that Abraham saw, this vision that the patriarch saw, this vision that the heroes of Hebrews 11 saw, we may operate outside of the restraints that we need to operate. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. We're going to see another use of this word para in Exodus 32. And this is the story, the end of the story of the golden calf. After Israel came through the Exodus, during the original Passover, received God's Ten Commandments on the Feast of Pentecost. And soon after that, verse 19, and so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, now at this point, you'll read previously that Joshua, who traveled with Moses into the mountains, but then stayed a certain portion away, heard the the ruckus, went and got Moses. Moses and God communicated. Now Moses is on his way back. So as it was, verse 19, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you so that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. And we could, there's a whole lot of uh, things we could talk about here. Verse 25 is where we want to go to. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, that is this word parah. When Moses saw that they had cast off restraint, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. We won't proceed with the rest of the story. But what we see here is a people, not long after their first Holy Day experience, not long after the miracles of God's blessing of bringing them out of, of Egypt, of being, trans, of being transformed through the waters of the Red Sea, miraculously, all of their enemies were, were drowned behind them. And water and food and quail and, and touching, a, touching a rock, and anytime they wanted water, God provided. Anytime they needed food, God would provide. All these miracles that would, should be so clear, keeping their eyes focused on the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, that one person, their leader, not showing up for uh, uh, delaying his coming, their Lord, Moses called, Aaron called Moses my Lord, their Lord had apparently delayed his coming, and they cast off restraint. They stopped behaving the way they knew to behave, the way they should have known to behave. They were in the midst of their first year with God, the recipients of so many miracles, literal physical salvation. 
when they should have completely been tuned into following God, keeping their eye on the pillars of fire and cloud for all that he had done for them. And they could not restrain themselves from going back to their old ways. Why? Proverbs tells us why. It's because they didn't get the vision. They didn't take the vision seriously. They didn't take it to heart. They thought their Lord, small l, Moses, had delayed his coming. So if, the, if, if our leader, our Lord, has delayed his coming, there's no consequences for me. There's no expectations for me. We can cast out, we can continue feasting our way and focus on physical gratification. So how was your feast? How was our feast? Did we grasp the vision of the kingdom of God strong enough again to get through six long months of winter? Are we locked in to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to ensure that we are there when Christ returns? When he descends from on high at the sound of that last trumpet. Did we grasp that vision enough that we will not cast off restraint this year? That all depends on where we go from here. How is our feast? That depends on now. It doesn't depend on the feast, where we came from. How it was for us depends on where we go from here. Will we do what we need to do, as Brother Jan pointed out in his prayer? Do whatever we need to do, whatever it takes to be there. What goals have we set for ourselves personally, individually? What spiritual goals, what physical goals, what goals to become better with God, to work on, on your, your, your habits, to work on putting the, the mind of Christ, to, to learning more? How about communally? What goals have we set communally to be better as a community, to be a, a better brotherhood, a better, a better congregation for God? How about evangelistically, preaching the gospel, doing the work, harvesting the fields? Where we go from here, what we do individually, what we do communitively, both within and outward, will be a testament to how good our feast was. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 10. We spent a lot of time rummaging through Nehemiah chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, in several messages. Let's go back there. When we read chapter 8, it showed us how, starting at the Feast of Trumpets, they began reading the law. Then they discovered they're from God, that it was explained to them. It just wasn't read to them, but they had an opportunity to have it explained to them, that it... it uh, caught their hearts the same way it did to the, the, the church in Acts 2. They were told that it was not a day to mourn, but let's rejoice. This is, this is a time to set yourselves apart and rejoice and feast. Then they found out about the Feast of Tabernacles, and they committed themselves to God. We went through chapter 9, chapter 10. We, went, we finished up in verse 29 in chapter 10, where all of the people committed themselves to God. They signed a covenant together. Let's read what follows. We, we stopped at verse 29, and we never, ever picked it up after verse 29. Verse 30. In signing this covenant, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we would forego the seven years' produce and the exacting of every debt. 
Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offerings into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at the appointed times year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of all, of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and, and our cattle, as, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the, Levite, when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine, and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. A whole lot of history there, a whole lot of getting through some, some reading here. But what does that say? They said that they would stay pure. This covenant we sign, we will stay pure. We will worship God properly. We will do our part. All of us will do our part to be part of this covenant. We will look after the people. And we will not neglect the house of God. That is what they expected of themselves. That's what God expected of them in coming out of their first Feast of Tabernacles. In signing this covenant. We will stay pure. We are so grateful. We will stay pure. We will worship you properly. We will all pitch in and do our part. We will look after each other. We will look after your people. And we will not neglect your house. Take time to read the rest of the book of Nehemiah and see how they followed up on that. What are our goals this year? Do we have goals this year? When we came out of the feast, did, were there things that crossed your mind that I needed to be better? When we get back, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this as a family. We're going to do this as an individual. God, I'm going to do this for you. I need your help in this area. What are our goals communally this year? What work do we need to get done coming out of this feast? Let's go to John 21 and see Christ's instructions in light of the aftermath of the Passover season of that particular year. These are all well-known scriptures, well-known that we read in many different contexts. But let's look at them again here in light of coming out of the festival season. Here, to set the stage, we know that this is in the aftermath of the Passover season. Within the Feast of Weeks period leading up to the, the Feast of Pentecost, which was talked about in the sermonette, Christ here is ramping them up for work. Verse 15. And again, in the context of 
what we read in chapters 19 and 20, Christ appearing to them twice, takes them out fishing, fed them. They had, they had now feasted through the Feast of Passover. They had, were within this 40-day period. Christ had filled their bellies. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus Christ said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And as we know, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to them, said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you, were, you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about him? What about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Here, Christ was not letting them off the hook. Feed my sheep. I have a work for you to do. You've been blessed by the Passover season. I'm now resurrected. And all that we know, the the sacrifice of, of his life, the shedding of his blood that allowed for the receipt of the Holy Spirit, that was about to happen to mankind, to the church, in the, in the coming days. And he was tasked to feed the sheep. Because God always leaves us with things to do. And they're always clear. There is a work to do. And for Peter and the disciples here, it was time to feed the sheep. And it was time to follow him. Don't worry about what happens to anybody else. You have the vision and keep your eyes on me. And whatever I say, you do. You follow me. If God wills that all of us are alive till he comes, but one of us has to sacrifice his life, what is that to us? We must follow Christ. No exceptions. The Holy Day season was, it was a very personal season for them. They gathered together on Passover. Again, separated themselves to be taught by Christ on Passover. They scattered at the crucifixion. And they came back here together in the aftermath, all separated as God had used his holy time to teach them. He separated them to use his holy time to teach them as we discussed in previous messages. And here, his clear instructions were to get back to work and feed my sheep. Take care of my people, much like what the folks in the book of Nehemiah said, that we will not neglect the house of God. Let's now go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. We spend much time during the festival season reading the book of Revelation, as was brought out in the sermonette. It's the end of the narrative. It's the end of the timeline that starts way back in Genesis, and we've covered that over the last three years here, and we'll continue to cover that so we never take our eyes off that narrative. We never lose focus 
on God's message through his scriptures. But it's an exciting book to read relative to the, the fall holy days and all of the, the, the rest of the plan of salvation has in store for us. We read through the coming of Christ, the putting away of Satan, the becoming at one with God, the millennium, and all of these things, the releasing of Satan for that hundred-year period, the great white throne judgment time. And then we look forward. God provides chapter 21 and 22, his ultimate kingdom. After all of the fulfillment of the holy days take place, the millennium and all, the, all those things, and we come to the kingdom of God when the kingdom comes down on earth and God and Christ are present with us. We are thrilled to be able to read the end of the story here in the last two chapters of Revelation. The new Jerusalem, all, how all things are made new, how God will wipe away every tear. Death will, be, death, death will be put to death. The tree of life will be opened to all. The Father himself will be with us. But Christ doesn't end the Bible with this good news. Christ doesn't end his word with just this good news. He ends it with expectations. Because he always ends good news with expectations. And we see that here beginning in verse 6. Then he said to me, after this entire vision that starts back in the first chapter of Revelation, then he said to me, these words, this whole vision that I presented to you, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There are now expectations. These are great visions. This is, this is a great story that we want to be a part of. This living for eternal life. Having God and Christ present with us. No darkness, no sickness, no tears, no death. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. John was in awe, and he fell to worship the angel. The angel said to him, see not, see not. There's a lot in there that's italicized when you go into a lot of the commentaries, we know the italicized words are not there. The words are, see not. Do not worship me. Only worship God. He continues here to, to tell that to John. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Don't worship me, the angel. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust... Let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. The reward, salvation is a gift. Our reward in the kingdom, based here, 1 Corinthians 3, other places, our reward is based on what we do. Because God has expectations. And we heard that uh, talk. We talked about that in Myrtle Beach, that we can't simply slip in the back door of the kingdom. We must have work to do. There is work to do now for God.
He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy. That's back in verse 11. My reward is with me, verse 12, as I just read, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Again, continuing expectations to do right, to follow God, to never take your eyes off his law, to always be constrained and restrained by his law. And when we are restrained by his law, as Proverbs points out here, we have the right, we will have the right to the tree of life. We will have the right to walk through the gates into the kingdom of God. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie outside of this, because there is no part for that in the kingdom of God. Just like there was no part of that in the community of Israel when Moses came down and saw all of these things taking place. Satisfying physical self-gratification in whatever form feels good keeps us out of the kingdom. It shows us that we have no vision, that our vision is here, not there. We restrain ourselves by keeping our eyes on the kingdom and making sure we are always following God so that we keep ourselves so that we get the right to the tree of life, so that we receive the opportunity to walk together into the kingdom of God. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. So, so far, all of these expectations are inward about how we are to be, how we are to act, how we are to change, how we are to maintain control, how we are to be restrained. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears says, say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. Where there's also expectations upon us to invite others to partake of these living waters. That we invite others. The bride, as we are preparing ourselves and making ourselves ready, we are out there saying, come. Drink, drink this water that satisfi- has satisfied us. Partake of this truth. Partake of this word of God. That completely satisfies any need to be unrestrained. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. This vision of the kingdom that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22, that is on the heels of the fulfillment of all of the holy days that we have just come through keeping in the previous chapters of Revelation, is wonderful news. It is the good news of the gospel, that there is a kingdom at the end of, of, the, at the end of all of this for us to partake of. But he doesn't end his word with this good news. He ends it with the expectations on how to get there and how to get, how to receive the right to the tree of life and how to receive the opportunity to walk through those gates. He ends it with expectations. Do only worship God. Only worship God. Remain pure and holy. He covers that here. There's no, there's no reason to become unrestrained. Those who 
Let him be righteous still. He was holy. Let him be holy still. If you are holy, remain holy. If you are pure, remain pure. If you are righteous, remain righteous. Avoid evil. He lists a whole lot of, of, of physically gratifying things that would be so easy to allow ourselves to slip back into over the course of this next year. He instructs us to avoid that. These are pretty, some pretty blatant words that Christ ends his word with on things to avoid. Keep his commandments. First and foremost, follow his law. Do what he says. Keep his commandments. And in doing so, invite others to drink of the living water. And finally, as he ends his book, don't change any word in this book. This is his word. Don't add to it or don't take away from it. These are some pretty explicit instructions for us at the back end of all of these great things that we read about, about the New Jerusalem, about tears being uh, dried up and, and death being swept away. We need to re- And the way to do this is to have that same focus that Abraham had, that the heroes of the Bible had, that they will not take their eyes off that kingdom of God, that they will not take their eyes off of that pillar of fire and the pillar of, the pillar of cloud, to always have the vision of the kingdom out front. How about some words of advice from God in setting goals? God here tells us where there is no vision, we cast off restraint. How do we get vision? We get vision by setting goals for ourselves, by giving us things to do. Christ here, in his word in Nehemiah, in John, and here in Revelation, after the holy days, gave us things to do, set apart some things for us to do, listed some things for us to be able to do to maintain this vision. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. As you're turning there, Proverbs 21, verse 5. Let's turn there first. I was going to quote it for you. We had a deep discussion in Myrtle Beach about not turning to scriptures. So let's go to Proverbs 21 and verse 5 first before we go to Habakkuk. How do we maintain, how do we get the vision? How do we maintain the vision over the course of the next six long, cold months? The 13 months before we keep another Feast of Tabernacles. The plans, verse 5, Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. We plan to succeed. We plan to do better for God. We are very specific in the goals that we set for us ourselves individually and for ourselves communitively. And when we do, it will lead to blessings. Maybe not physical blessings, but blessings from God to maintain our vision and maintain our focus on that kingdom. Habakkuk chapter 2. Why is it important to maintain our vision? To not lose sight of why we went to the feast? The beach was great, but you know what? During the feast, we never saw the beach. It rained the entire time. Opening night, we saw the full moon for till about 9 o'clock, 
And then I don't think we saw the sun till after the feast. It rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. And the amazing thing that it did is it brought everybody together. Every, it, it, the plans changed, and there were no beach days. There was no people scattered. All the events turned, pulling us together. Verse 2 of Habakkuk 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. When we have this vision, we are at full speed for God. We won't lollygag through this. When we grasp the vision and we get it, we are all in. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, but it will surely come. It will not tarry. It's tarrying for a while, but God's not waiting for us. When his time comes, when it is time for him to send his son back, we must be ready. We don't know when that will be. But as he tells Habakkuk here, it will surely come. So be ready and get busy and run while you're doing it. God is waiting for the bridegroom to make herself ready, but he will only wait for so long because it will be time for the next steps of his plan to come to fruition. All of those things that we gathered together over the course of the last six weeks to, to celebrate. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. All scriptures we've read time and time again. But as we come out of this feast, it is important to look at them again. John 4 verse 34. My food, Christ said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Not my work, Christ said, but his work. All that gave Christ energy to, to drive the food, physical food that gives us energy, that gives us the will to move on, Christ said he didn't need it. He fed off of the will of God. That if God wants us to do something, that is what is going to drive me. And I'm going to finish the work that he gave us to do. Do not say there are still four months. You know what? There's still six months to Passover. It's a long year this year. Let's take a couple months and sort of ease into the winter here a little bit and see where we go from here. And, and you know, we have church every day for eight days. We can, we, we, let's, take, let's get our foot off the gas a little bit, take some time and sort of ease back into things. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another, another reaps, and I sent to you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Our food should be to do the will of God and to finish the work that he has given us to do. That is that outward focus. That is where we take our, our focus as individuals and as a community, and we continue to force it outwards. That's why God called us aside, took us away from our lives, gave us a break for eight days, completely removed us from all of our, our, our concerns of the world, brought us together, taught us, taught us, taught us, taught us, taught us, fed us, fed us, fed us, fed us, 
allowed us to be re-engaged spiritually, re-engaged physically, that we come back, we finish his work, and we get busy doing his work, becoming better Christians, working on those habits, coming together as a community, inviting others in to partake of the living water, as we read in Revelation. Matthew 6, verse 33. Again, scriptures that are very familiar, but many who thought they were familiar no longer have the vision. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Anything else that you need, God will provide. If we seek him first, if we seek his righteousness, and if we seek his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12. There are, we could go to several. I've got several written down. There's no need to go to all of them. We need to we have a little bit of a time constraint for upstairs for the baptism. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll start winding this down. And this will become ever more prevalent as the realities of the six trumpets that will precede the seventh trumpet come to, re- come to fruition. When we are, and we've been through the book of Hebrews, we know that this is much more than just a, a feel-good, keep your eyes on those who, uh, the people of faith, but this is be grounded when there are those that want you to deny Christ. Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these folks throughout the history of mankind, pages of scripture, that kept their eyes on the vision, did not lose focus, did not deny and turn back. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. and Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured his crucifixion, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We could run the gamut and read Philippians, read other Proverbs, read many other scriptures, but our course has been set, and we know what we have to do. It is good to be reminded of what we need to do. It is good to come back from the feast, be be refreshed, Share stories, be re-engage ourselves, find out how was your feast, messages that you heard, how were some of the good messages you heard, what were some of the good messages you heard, what did you learn, were there some good pieces of music that inspired you that you'd never heard before. Let's begin planning to be back next year. Not just planning for the feast, which needs to be done, and in fact, the first planning session for next year's feast occurs next week. Uh, we're getting kicking that off uh, uh, right away, planning for next year's feast. Individually, planning, saving our tithes, saving our funds to make sure we are there. But it goes much deeper than that. Let's plan to be there next year because we are following the advice and the, the instructions from God as we see through Nehemiah, as we see from Christ himself in John, through the vision of John in, in Revelation 22. Because many Many, between now and next year, may give it up. 
we kept feasts with 150,000 people. I was at feast sites here with 10,000 people, 9,000 people, I think it was in Niagara Falls. And we were ecstatic this year when we heard there was 215 keeping the feast in St. Catharines. We need to assure God that we will be there next year. And we do so by capturing that vision. And that vision that we got at that feast, we stay focused on it, and we keep ourselves restrained within the expectations God has set for us. Let's go, as we close, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I go here personally every year. It's a small verse, but it's a small statement by Paul that has always intrigued me. And I often address it, I like to address it at the end of every feast season as we move into what amounts to a new year. Be diligent, verse 9, to come to me quickly. This is Paul at the end of his long life. This is his last epistle, his record, last recorded epistle that he sent to, to his son in the faith, his, one of his closest confidants, Timothy, as he's reaching the end of his days in prison, as he's about to be executed. And as he writes his final, his final letter, his final encouraging letter, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. One of his servants lost the vision and turned back and couldn't restrain himself from going back to whatever physically gratifying thing there was that caused him to go back to the big city and turn back. After all the work that they had gone through, and Demas has spoken of in other places in a positive, positive way, as a, as, a, as, a, as a fellow fighter, a fellow Christian, a fellow soldier. But here, as Paul is nearing the end of his life, one of his friends turned back, and he was affected by it enough to make mention of it to Timothy. Paul was deeply affected by Demas' abandoning the faith. Many of us could list friends and relatives that have kept the feast one year and weren't back the next. We will be back next year if we maintain that vision, if we capture the vision and do what God expects us to do. Was this a great feast? I've been asked that several times. I can't really say if it was a great feast yet. I think so. I think it was a good feast, but I'll have to let you know next year. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.